And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Let's just take a couple of minutes here while everybody's getting off the stage. Uh, We just sang How Great Thou Art. What is it in your life or, you know, however you want to express it, that would make you say to God how great thou art? What is it for you that makes God so great? Uh, he, he just kind of covered, he said, his grace, his love, and his mercy. Okay, what else? Come on. Forgiveness. Redemption. Every, everything. There, there's going to the heart of it. Everything. Yes. Uh, no, God, God is good. Um, and so, we, you know, we do need to bless Him. And that's kind of what our passage is about this morning. I'm wearing the shirt. You, you got the big, big face-looking thing on the front. And it said, what does it say? This changes everything. And then on the back, of course, is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So, yeah, this, the gospel changes everything. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, it's, 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 you know, it's not what we considerly, uh, normally consider part of the gospel, but the gospel is definitely in here. Goodbyes are never fun, are they? I remember 40 plus years ago leaving my parents' house in Red Bay and then later in Milton. um, And every time I'd leave, I'd I'd cry for five or ten minutes because I didn't know if I'd ever see them alive again. Uh, They were quite a bit older than me and the truth is they could go to be with the Lord at any time. And I didn't want to give my parents up even if it was to go to heaven. Well, a hundred years ago, If anybody was going to serve as a missionary to, say, to Asia or Africa, you know, either on the East Coast or West Coast, they would get on a big ship. And you wouldn't see them again for months, maybe years, maybe never again. Now, modernization has helped in that regard, right? You get on an airplane today, uh, I took a, the longest flight I've been on was from uh, Johannesburg, South Africa to New York. It was an 18-hour flight. Not a lot of fun, but in a day, you can get to the other side of the world now, right? Uh, Also, technology helps out. About a month ago, uh, Debbie and I, from our living room, spoke face-to-face with Molly and and John and Paris in their living room in Malawi, which is nearly halfway around the world. So, you know, that helps. But despite the great technology, which kind of shrinks the global distance, saying goodbye is still hard. Now, what's the hardest goodbyes that we say? It's the ones that are final in this life. It's when you know that you won't see that loved one again this side of heaven. Rodney just went through that with his dad last week. Uh, You won't see him again until heaven, okay? Um, And your, your heart can often be filled with sorrow when that happens. But what do we see here? Uh, When the Lord ascended out of the uh, presence of the disciples, uh, from their view, they weren't filled with sorrow. No, they were filled with great joy. I want you to use your thinking cap on and go back to Luke chapter 2. This is when the angel comes to announce to the shepherds that to them a Savior has been born in the city of David in Bethlehem, right? Well, like all angels, when they show up, the, the, the shepherds are quite, a, quite afraid. So what's always the angel's first word? 
fear not. <laughs> Don't be scared. I'm here for your good, okay? But he says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So Luke wants us to ask ourselves, does the ascension of Jesus, his, his going into heaven, does the ascension of Jesus give me great joy in my life as it did the disciples? Am I blessing God as the disciples did because Jesus ascended on high. Well, our major thought this morning, seeing Jesus ascended on high, that should cause us to worship Him and rejoice. Well, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just ask once again for Your Holy Spirit and ask that You would move in our presence, uh, Lord, to continue to reveal Yourself, to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand the truths of what we're talking about. Father, and all that is good, in fact, great, because Jesus has ascended on high. It should cause us to worship and rejoice. Give us hearts that would do that. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So, we've got three major points. The first point here, Jesus' ascension, it should cause us to worship and rejoice because it signifies the completion of His earthly ministry. Why did Jesus leave the earth in the first place? Was it because He had been rejected and crucified by sinful men? Was it because He was defeated and frustrated and He just had to get out of here? No, on the contrary, He left because He had finished the work that the Father had given Him to do. Now, the night before the crucifixion, so this is actually, he, he, he ascended on the 40th day uh, after his resurrection. So this would be about 42 days earlier. They were there in the upper room. And Jesus prays what we call the high priestly prayers from John 17. Now listen to what he says in verse 4. He's praying to the Father and he says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you, have, that you gave me to do. So he says it right there in the presence of the disciples, praying to the Father, I have finished the work you give me. Now, he, looked, he had a little bit more to do, didn't he? <laughs> okay, but overall, his ministry was drawing to a close, and he says, I've, I've accomplished all that you have given me to do. So Jesus left the earth because his job here was finished. So it kind of begs the question, what was the work that Jesus accomplished? Now, that one question, uh, we could preach on for, for years if we were to use as our source, the whole Bible, because that's what the Bible is about, is why Jesus came. Well, for our purposes this morning, I'm just going to quote the angel who earlier had talked to Joseph while Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And he came to Joseph and he began by saying, fear not. But down the road he says, you will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sin. That's a pretty good capsule, caps, caps, how do we say that? Capsulization? I'm not, I'm not saying that right. Anyway, that, that captures what I'm trying to get across here. The problem with the human race is that our rebellion has separated us from God. Through Adam's sin, the entire race was steeped in its sin and penalty death, right? The wages of sin is death. Unfortunately, no amount of good works or penance can take away our sins or reconcile us to God. We are lost and we're in need of a Savior. So the mission of Jesus, as he states there in Luke 19, was to seek and to save the lost. Now, keep in mind, Jesus wasn't just an extraordinary human being. He was that, but he was so much more. He was born of a virgin through the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is uniquely the Son of God, God in human flesh. 
He lived a holy and sinless life dependent on the Father to show us how men and women should live. His sacrificial death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins. His resurrection from the dead is affirmation that God accepted His sacrifice there on the cross. Now, the risen Christ commissions the disciples, what we looked at last week, to proclaim forgiveness of sins in His name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, the ascension actually fulfilled a prophecy made by Jesus Himself. You remember when He was, uh, during the trial, He told the Jewish leaders, from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. There at the right hand of God, Jesus awaits the time that the Father will make His enemies a footstool for His feet. Now, that's actually fulfillment of a prophecy from the book of Psalms. The writer of Hebrews talks about this. And he's, he asks a question here. He says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies uh, a footstool for your feet? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is none. That right, that honor is reserved for Jesus alone. In verse 8 of the same chapter there, the writer of Hebrews says, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Jesus, the eternal God, took on human flesh for one reason, our salvation. The fact that He is now seated at the right hand of the Father shows us that He accomplished uh, exactly what His mission on earth was to be. And that should fill our hearts with worship for Him and with great joy. Now, this is the first time that Luke mentions that the disciples actually worshipped Jesus and if Jesus is risen and ascended into heaven as they witnessed, then we should join them in adoration and great joy. It means that through His blood, we have remission of sins, which was mentioned during the How Great Thou Art time. Reconciliation with God. We have hope, both now and beyond the grave. We can worship Him and rejoice because His earthly ministry is completed. Well, second major port here, port point uh, Jesus' ascension should cause us to worship Him and rejoice because it signifies the commencement of His heavenly ministry. So He's finished His earthly ministry, now comes His heavenly ministry. Jesus had told the disciples in the upper room concerning His going, going away and, and their initial sadness. Here's what he, he said, If you loved Me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And when Jesus says that, he's not denying his deity. He's referring to the limitations of his humanity. During his time on this earth, in his earthly ministry, Jesus voluntarily um, limited himself in dependence on the Father. His glory was veiled, wasn't it? He submitted to the Father's will, including the cross, which is his humiliation. But in returning to the Father, He would be restored to the place of glory and power that was His before the foundation of the world. And as He promised, He would send the promise of the Father, meaning the Holy Spirit, on the disciples to empower them for life and for ministry. Now, there are many aspects of Jesus' ministry in heaven, but I want you to consider these five this morning. Let's begin with A. Jesus' ascension resumed His glorification with the Father. In John 17, remember we just read verse 4, 
Well, in verse 5, he says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus thereby claimed to be preexistent with God and one in glory with God, thus possessing the very uh, nature, the essence of God himself. Now, Jesus' prayer was fulfilled by his death, resurrection, and ascension. Now, if you remember, uh, I think it's, uh, where is it, Matthew 17, uh, Peter, James, and John got a brief glimpse of the glory of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, Mark tells us that he, his clothes became so white, it was whiter than any launderer on earth could clean them, better than Clorox, right? Because his glory was busting through. But now Jesus, through his time of humiliation, is restored to that unapproachable glory that belongs to God alone. The Apostle John, he got another glimpse of, uh, of Jesus in his glory in Revelation chapter 1. And his response, when he, when he saw Jesus in the vis this vision, he didn't go, oh, hey, Jesus, good to see you again. No, he fell at the feet of Jesus like a dead man. Well... The saints in heaven, this is in Revelation 5, they're gathered around God's throne, and this is what they say. To him who sits on the throne, that's God, and to the Lamb, that's Jesus, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Jesus is ascended on high where he shares the glory of the Father. And the fact that Jesus is now ascended to the right hand of the Father and that he has resumed his pre-incarnate glory but now in a human body, that gives us hope that He's going to take us to be with Him one day. In our resurrected bodies, one day we will share His glory. We're not fit for that right now. I thought of this in the first service and I'll mention it here. Back in uh, about, mm, it's either chapter 33, 34 of Exodus, Moses is talking to God and uh, God's talking to him. And Moses says, God, show me your glory. And he says, well, okay. So he takes him up on the mountain, and there's a rock face, and it has a cleft in it, you know, a, a, an empty space. He puts Moses in that cleft, and he puts his hand over the cleft, and he walks by. He says, I'll let, I'll let you see the backside of my glory, Moses, because no man can see my face and live. All right? The glory of God is something that we now are not fit to handle. It's only one day when we are in our resurrection bodies that we're going to be able to see Him face to face. Well, Jesus was the first man in glory, and so we have the assurance that He will transform our bodies and take us to heaven to be with Him. Well, B, Jesus' ascension began His intercessory ministry for His people. Jesus is now at the right hand of God where he intercedes for us. Both Romans 8.34 and Hebrews 7.25 tell us this. Now, this intercession, it involves not only presenting our petitions and needs before the Father, he also presents his blood in the very presence of the Father as the propitiation for our sins. Therefore, we have continual access to God through Jesus, our Advocate. Have you ever needed to get something done through a high government official? If so, you know that having a connection can greatly speed up that process. If you know someone who has access to the top official that you need to see, well, you've got a better chance of gaining a hearing. 
Well, the ascended Lord Jesus Christ is our connection in the very presence of God. Through Him, we have access to the Father. Jesus' ascension to the Father should cause us to worship Him and rejoice because He is there interceding for us. We'll see Jesus' ascension began His preparation of a place for His people. Go back to John 14. It was actually on the same night as His high priestly prayer. It's up there in the upper room. It's right after the Passover. And uh, He's telling them, let not, let, you not, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. Right? Um, in My Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I don't know why the Lord of creation who spoke the entire universe into existence, why he has to prepare us a place. Couldn't he just speak it and it'd be done? Well, he could if he wanted to. Now, this could be just some figurative language that Jesus is using so that the disciples could understand. It's like a carpenter working on a house. The Lord is carefully preparing a place for us in heaven uh, to be there with him throughout eternity. The language pictures the Lord's individual care for each and every one of us that belong to Him. Now, the Lord not only said that He would go, that's a reference to His ascension. It says that He would come again for us. So Jesus' ascension should fill us with great joy because our future with Him in glory is as secure as His Word. One of the words that was mentioned in the first service was faithfulness when we talked about how great God is. It means what He has said He's going to do. And we know God is not a liar. He'd be a liar if it were not true that He's coming again and that we would be with Him in heaven. He's told us that too many times. Well, D, Jesus' ascension began, its, began His present and future dominion over heaven and earth. In 1 Peter 3, Peter tells us that Jesus is now at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and uh, authorities and powers have been subjected to Him. In Ephesians 1, Paul says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. That's good news for us. But we also have to recognize there is a sense in which all things are not yet subject to Him. Presently, not all of His enemies are a footstool for His feet. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. There's coming a day when that is going to be true. But he tells us in that passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that the last enemy to be conquered, does anybody know what it is? It's death. That is the last thing to be conquered. And then Jesus will hand the kingdom in its completeness with full authority to the Father. All right, that's in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. You can check that out. But when He comes again in power and glory, He's going to conquer every foe and reign forever and ever. Well, the fifth thing here, E, Jesus' ascension resulted in the pouring out of His Holy Spirit on His people. He told his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, who's the helper? It's the Holy Spirit. The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. All right, so 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended. Ten days after that, on the day of Pentecost, 
<laughs> 50 days, that's what Pentecost is referring to. Pentecost, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, the disciples were empowered to carry on the work of Jesus, extending the good news of salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, when he ascended on high referring, high, referring to Jesus, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. You see, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to the, the church, to the body of Christ, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, the disciples, they could rejoice at Jesus' ascension because of his present heavenly ministry, which included the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on his people. So Jesus' ascension, it should cause us to worship Him and rejoice because it signified the completion of His earthly ministry and the commencement of His heavenly ministry. Third point here. Jesus' ascension should cause us to worship Him and rejoice because it signifies the commencement of our ministry here on this earth as His representatives. Why didn't Jesus just take all of the disciples, they were watching Him go, why didn't He just take them up to heaven with Him? Well, he left them here because he still has work for them to do in his name. It's his work. It's, it's in his name, but he's gone to heaven. Now we do it. As we saw last week, their mission and ours is to proclaim repentance uh, for forgiveness of sins to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And we also so, saw that it's essential that we are clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit if we want to succeed in that mission. Our text reveals four things that we need if we are to be effective representatives uh, for Jesus Christ in this evil world. A, Christ's representatives must have His blessing on their lives and their ministries. Now we know from Acts chapter 1 verse 12 that Jesus led the disciples out to the Mount of Olives on their way to Bethany and there He lifted up His hands and He blessed them. And it says, while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. How would you like to have seen that? that? I'm sure that was a spectacle. Uh, a spectacle. This pictures the Old Testament priest blessing the people after he has offered the sacrifice for them. Now we tend to think of a blessing as a nice gesture that really doesn't mean much in terms of actual consequences. Uh, you know. But Jesus wasn't just wishing the disciples well when he blessed them. His blessing was absolutely essential to them and for us if we were to carry on His work. Without Jesus' blessing, we can have large and successful ministries that will come to nothing in the end. We can build large buildings. We can have hundreds of people flocking to our church. But if we lack Jesus' blessing, then it's, in the end it's just going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And it's going to be consumed by, by the fire of judgment. The psalmist is the one who says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Now, God's blessing means that the results of our labors are not in proportion to our, our abilities or our efforts. Think about this. The results, they have lasting spiritual impact that we never could have achieved in our own strength. In God's work, His blessing means everything. Well, B, Christ's representatives must worship Him before they work for Him. Now, as I said, this is the first reference in Luke to the disciples worshiping Jesus. Worship should always precede work. And I thought of this in the first service, and I'm going to do it again here. If you go to chapter 11, 
okay, in, in the book of Hebrews. We call it the Hall of Faith because beginning in about verse 7, he starts listing people and saying, telling us about them and saying that they were faithful. Do you know who's listed first? You can look if you want to. I'll go ahead and tell you. It's Abel. What did Abel do? What's Abel known for? Y'all remember Cain and Abel. What did Abel do? He offered a sacrifice to God. He worshipped. Who's next? It's Enoch. Scripture's very clear. What did Enoch do? He walked with God. Who's third? Noah. What did Noah do for 120 years? He built the ark. He worked. Do you see it? Worship, walk, then work. We worship God. Then we walk with Him. Out of that flows the work. It just shows the priority of worship. Now, we hear a lot about burnout in ministry. One major cause of burnout is when our work gets ahead of our worship. When we feel that we're get just cranking out whatever we do to serve the Lord, we need to stop and we need to get our hearts right before Him. Now think about this. The hands that Jesus lifted up in blessing the disciples, what was unusual about those hands? They're not like mine. They were pierced. It's where the nails went. So as the disciples gazed upward at Jesus with His hands raised, blessing them, it reminded them that He gave Himself for them on the cross. That is the motivation for all that we do for the Lord. Uh, Dr. John G. Campbell, he wrote, Just as much as we really worship, just that far will we bear testimony for Him. We cannot divorce real testimony from real worship. End quote. It's good stuff. C, Christ's representatives must have His joy undergirding their ministries. Now, as I said, Luke begins with great joy at the announcement of Jesus' birth, and he ends with the disciples filled with great joy after seeing Jesus ascend into heaven. Joy is a theme that's raised occasionally in Luke, but nowhere is it emphasized more than in Luke 15. That's where it says that there's joy in heaven, uh, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And it's also where the father of the prodigal told the other son, but we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and he has been found. As believers, we should be filled with great joy as we think often about the fact that Jesus Christ has forgiven all of our sins. If you ever get depressed, just start thinking about that <laughs> and understand that if you belong to Christ, your sins are forgiven. There's been no greater gift in, 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 of all time. That's what our salvation is. And our joy is multiplied every time we hear of another sinner who has come to repentance. Their sins, Jesus has added again. Their sins have been forgiven. Now, as we saw last week, our mission is to proclaim among the nations the good news that if people will repent of their sins, they will experience God's complete forgiveness. Our joy in knowing the Lord Jesus is the basis of our witness for Him. 
Paul says, set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at God's right hand. He's there, having made forgiveness for all of your sins, interceding for you with all power and authority in the universe. Don't rest until He gives you His joy. And when He does, that joy will draw others to the Savior through you. Well, D, Christ's representatives will bless Him because of His great blessings to them. Why did, why, why, I just saw this, why did God bless Abraham? He told him both in chapter 12 and in chapter 15, it's so that you will be a blessing to the nations. In verse 50, Jesus blessed the disciples. He raised his hands and he blessed them. In, in 53, the disciples are in the temple uh, continually blessing God. Now Luke wants to show us uh, that the church, although it is to reach out to the nations, it had its roots, it's had its beginnings in the temple of Jerusalem. It wasn't a radical breakaway from Judaism. It was actually a fulfillment of Judaism. It was like the next step. We see progressive revelation beginning from the very first time the gospel's mentioned. Genesis 3.15. He's talking, he's actually cursing the serpent. And he says, I'm going to put enmity between the woman's seed and your seed. Her seed is going to crush your head. Your seed, or you are going to bruise her seed. That's talking about Jesus. And, and as the Bible goes on, we get progressively more and more and more of the revelation of God. Christianity is the natural thing when Jesus came on the scene from Judaism. It was the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament. So don't think that, they're, that they're, they're totally separate. They're not. Christianity is a fulfillment of Judaism. So here at the end, when the disciples see the risen and ascended Lord, they go away praising. Literally, the word is blessing God. God has blessed us with all the promises of His word, and in return, we bless God. It's kind of like my boys when they were little. If they would give me a Christmas or a birthday present, where do you think they got the money from that? Well, they probably got it from me or mom, right? But, but I gave them money and they used it to buy me a present and I, I was delighted to receive back from them a portion of what I had given them. Guess what? God gives us every blessing. When we return Him, return it to Him with either our gifts or with praise from our lips, we are blessing the God who has blessed us. And folks, that is a proper thing. Did you know, according to, I believe it's Psalm 46, um, no, it's not, it's 63, I think, that our, the praise from our lips is what magnifies God. You know what it means to magnify? There's two ways you can magnify things. I, I did this sermon a couple years ago. You can look at a microscope and look at something really small, and it makes it look bigger so you can see it. But we can also take big telescopes like the Hubble Telescope. And we can look out, and things that look small to us, all of a sudden it makes us see them as they really are. That's the type of magnify that David is talking about. We magnify God when we thank Him with our lips. A thankful heart and mouth is what magnifies God. Doesn't that sound simple? Why don't we do it more? Why don't we do it more? It magnifies God. Well... The disciples went away from these 40 days of fellowship with the Lord, uh, culminating in His ascension with a new vision of the glory of God. 
John Owen, he was a, a Puritan theologian from the 1600s. Uh, he points out that in some measure, all true believers have the eyes of their understanding opened to see the glory of God in the face of Christ as it is revealed in the gospel. He says, our apprehension, our seeing and understanding of this glory, our apprehension of this glory is the spring of all our obedience, consolation, and hope in this world. It's apprehending the glory of Christ. To the extent that we see the glory of the risen and the ascended Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to be filled with worship, great joy, and thanksgiving toward God for His abundant mercies to us. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the gift of Your Word. The truth contained there is eternal. Father, it's never going to change because it is the truth. Uh, It's based on You. And so, Father, we just pray that You would help that truth to break through to us today to understand that, yes, Jesus' ministry is ongoing in, in heaven and it's for our benefit. He is interceding there. He has sent back the Holy Spirit, Father, to empower us for life and ministry. Many good things have happened since Jesus Jesus uh, took his seat at your right hand. God, I pray that it would affect us even today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're out there and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, the Bible is very clear. You're separated from him. I, I talked about this in the first service as well. If sin were blue, we'd all be blue. We'd all have some shade of blue. A lot of us would be darker than others, okay? But we'd all be a shade of blue. And it also tells us because we're blue, because we're sinners, death is our wage. It is our due. It's what we are owed. All right? The wages of sin is death. You're separated from God if you do not know Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. I encourage you this morning, nothing good that you do is going to suffice. Only the blood of Christ shed on Calvary will cover your sins. Turn to God this morning. Ask Him to forgive you your sins. He is the one that you have offended. When David slept with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband Uriah, and Nathan convicts him, you know, and he confronts him and he gets convicted, he writes Psalm 51. And in there he, he says, You and you alone have I sinned against. <laughs> That's some big words, knowing what he did. When we sin, we offend a holy God. Turn, there's nothing you can do to, 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 to bring that relationship back together. It's only through Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So I encourage you this morning, turn to God through his son, Jesus Christ. He will save you. He'll make you a child of his. If you're a believer, I hope that you've just got a, a better appreciation for Jesus' ministry in the here and now. He is up there interceding for you. When you're in temptation, He's praying for you. When you're in need, He's praying for you. He's already given you the Holy Spirit, but He is continually praying for you. He's interceding on your behalf. What a God we serve. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.